watch anime chicks with inflatable breasts You might be a Trekkie, eh, sit back and watch As the uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch Turn to the left to F in your dictionary And add this word to your vocabulary Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy Damn it Jim, I'm not a doctor, I'm just the definition of a Fanboy, baby Our hope is that when the world has moved on from us, we will have captured enough of the cash that we can live in uh, <laughs> genteel poverty the rest of our days. But a yeah. small home in the co- you know, cottage I, in the country. I was I was raised by hippies. It takes almost nothing to make me happy. Uh, my my standards of what a pleasant day day life look like are low. S- says the guy with the thousand dollar coffee maker. Yes. Yeah. I have, I, I <laughs> well, that's the one concession. <laughs> I bought it once, and it paid for itself in eight months. Yeah. Oh, it's the hippies, drugs kind of thing going on. Yeah, that's. I, it that's just, it, I, I like the irony. I'm like, I, I enjoy the simple things in life, like thousand dollar coffee. <laughs> Did your coffee maker but, uh, not thousand dollar coffee machines? Just the one. <laughs> if there was one in every room, that would be like I don't just know the why. one thousand dollar coffee machine. So, did your coffee maker require plumbing changes in the kitchen? No, no, no it okay. did not. So no. then you didn't go excess. Yeah, you can tell yeah, you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> No, I, I come from Microsoft, and ah. where people have conversations like, people really don't appreciate the tax advantage of owning your own carousel. Right. You know. Yeah, that's that's a, that's. I don't. Wait, I don't. I, 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 I don't appreciate the tax advantage of owning my own carousel. No. That's not a thing. Yeah. So, you're, like, you're still you're still on you're I'm, still in the sane sane purchase. Is that carousel like like? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm Logan's Run Carousel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, renew, renew. Could be. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> the tax advantage in killing everybody over. I need the age to talk to my real estate agent. <laughs> no, but I, please tell me what the tax advantage of, of owning a carousel really would be if you, because you allow the children in the neighborhood in. once so once a year you donate some time to charity. I guess I don't I, know. that's it was meant to be an absurd statement, Derek. Yeah. I, I thought maybe it was real though. It's Microsoft. <laughs> You don't know what's it, true. Actually, it started when a when a guy came in saying to a meeting saying he was late because he had to meet with his sous chef. <laughs> and then I had and I said sous chef. And then he spent like twenty minutes explaining to me the the advantage of having all his meals prepared for him ahead of time and in the refrigerator. And he almost convinced me. Of course, he'd been there about twenty years longer than I had. So, well, I I, I mean I respect and. Uh, Participate to a small degree in the part where I pay people money to take care of me. That's I'm, I'm, I'm not oh, yeah. against that, yeah. but uh, but when that stops, I'm also willing to make my to prepare my own food. That's <laughs> when 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 uh, the the equation between time and money starts being making it so it's rational for me to make my own sandwiches. I can make my own sandwiches. That's not gonna. It will not. Uh, Lower my dignity. When the zombie apocalypse comes, you'll be much more pre- better prepared. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, you're looking around for somebody to make meals for you, and everyone else is just running. Yeah, and That's the sous chef was the first to go. Shit, brains again. Hi, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting from Baycon 2017, the 
Utopia Dystopia? With a live audience. Is, yes. <laughs> they are kind enough to give us one of those. And we've got special guests uh, this morning. Uh, so please introduce yourselves before we go to our producer. Uh, I'm Ty. I'm the Corey half of James S.A. Corey. Uh, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm the, the James half of James S.A. Corey. <laughs> and uh, and, and course, I'm Rick Brett Snyder, yeah, podcast, podcast producer. producer extraordinaire. And uh, so we are here uh, to largely talk about Dan, uh, Ty and Daniel. I said it out of the way, uh, ops away from the way I had it written down. I'm sorry. So Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, who combine into one superpowered being known as James S. A. Corey, and I are the creators of uh, The Expanse, both uh, a, a Hugo winning novel series and uh, Hugo nominated television series. Well, Hugo, Hugo nominated on both. We didn't yeah. actually win the Hugo. We won the Locus oh. Award. Oh, it was the Locus. Okay. But if you would like to claim that we won <laughs> the Hugo, that, that... I will claim. I'm sorry. I, I was misinformed. I looked up the citation and just, said you would... That's really just as good. If everybody thinks you won, <laughs> that's as good as one. Would you be interested in use, Hugo? Because we know a couple of people who have them that we can probably distract and say... Yeah, no, just, would you like it? Yeah, kind of... I'll work on that. Scrape off the VIN numbers and... Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Terrific. Do you guys have VIN numbers? That's yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes sense. Um, well, we're going to lose two more of them this year. Yeah. So. No, we're yeah. looking forward to losing two more of this yeah. year. Okay. Well, we're, how many have you lost? Because uh, only only one Hugo. So we've we've lost several Locus awards. Two two Locus and one one, and we're up for it again this year. Yeah. So we'll, and we've lost one Hugo and are now nominated for two more. So are you going to Helsinki? No. Hey, no. It's a little we're we're. we're uh, a little overscheduled right now between writing the books and making the TV show, so the the uh, lengthy flight out, we wouldn't be able to stay there long enough to more than hit the the convention, lose our minds slowly, and then fly back for twenty hours, and it, it it's just too punishing. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> plus they didn't ask us, but uh, we're not we're, we're not nominated at all. So uh, you know we don't lose any because we, we haven't had close. a nomination yet. Uh, so um, let's talk about for for those who are listening at home. Everyone I assume in the room here is familiar with the Expanse, but those listening at home, it is that uh, a novel series and it just renewed for its third season on the Sci Fi Channel. Right, that is so, correct. Um, let's talk about the origins. This. You guys came together through actually, is it gaming that brought The Expanse to life? Well, yes. Yeah, that would be accurate. Yeah, uh, in, in, several, in several iterations. Um, uh, it initially started out as a, uh, as a pitch for... Um, sorry, we're changing headphones here. Um, Live technical difficulties yeah. and yet so smooth. Oh, yeah, I can actually... Sort of hear through these. Um, it, it started as a pitch for a, a video game, specifically a, an MMO that somebody wanted to develop. Um, I did all the background work for that, and that never that never went anywhere. But now I had all the background work, and I started running it as a pen and paper game. Or I don't know, or is it paper and dice, pen and paper, tabletop? tabletop whatever. I don't know, whatever they call it. I'd start doing it as that, and then uh, Daniel played in that game a little bit. And mm-hmm. I got I. It was one of those games, but uh, no matter what question I asked, Ty knew the answer to it. So I could say, "Well, okay, what are the what are the corridors look like?" And he would tell me, and I'd say, "Okay, well, uh, how does the monetary system work?" And he'd tell me, and and um, and I saw the three ring binder with all of the information he had uh, built up over the course of years of of uh, 
researching and preparing these games. And I thought, well, you know, this is this is all of the work of writing a novel except for the writing it down part. Why don't we just write it down? And then uh, I pitched that to him as an idea, and he said yes. And we got together on Wednesdays and wrote it over the course of a year on pretty much Wednesdays. And the plan was to sell it for pizza money, and uh, we overshot a little. Now it's sous chef money. No, <laughs> no. It, is, it is not. It is not not yet sous chef money. <laughs> but you know, I've read a little bit about how you divide it up. Is it is originally it's kind of like alternating chapters. What is the process for collaboration? Yeah, it's it's changed. It's uh, gotten muddier. Uh, when we first started, we split it up by character. Uh, specifically in the first book, I wrote all the Holden chapters, and Daniel wrote all the Miller chapters. Then when we got to the second book, we did that again, where I wrote Miller and Bobby, and he wrote uh, Holden and Avasrala. Oh, no, you wrote Praxin of Avasrala. And then in the third book, I wrote Anna and Holden, and he wrote... Everybody else. Bull and... I don't know. That other one. The other one. Yeah. Uh, 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 Clarissa. Clarissa. Yeah. Melba. Yeah, and so uh, at this point, though, in the book we're currently writing, um, there's none of that. It's just here's the next two characters, chapters, and we'll just kind of go, which one do you want to write? And sometimes he writes a Holden one, and sometimes I write a Holden one. And uh, Yeah, the, the part yeah. where we, we divided our uh, point of view characters in order to sort of uh, paper over our different literary styles has gone the way of all things because essentially we're down to one literary style now we've been doing this long mm-hmm. enough we've we've uh we have one voice pretty much that uh yeah and that carries the hard question is how do you get that down to to that one voice well the the, the answer to that in the or, or original i mean the, the answer now is you work together for the better part of a decade but at the, at the front the way we did that was we edited each other we uh whoever had done the the first draft the other guy did the edit on that and made the changes that he wanted to make and changed the voice. And there are characters who, even now, um, you know, I I can put in the Amos lines that I think, but Ty's going to be the guy who actually knows what Amos would say. Hmm. Um, for for Miller and Avasarala, I I have those uh, those voices more clearly in my head than Ty. So sometimes Ty will put in a thing and it'll, it'll just be Avasarala says something here, and then I'll. I'll, I'll know what she said. Um, so we still have little kind of splinter skills that they will rely on each other for. Do you ever get that writer thing? I've heard writers and, and actors say this too. Like, you know a character so well, but the character surprises you from time to time in what they say or do? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know that. I, I mean, I, I don't think characters exist outside of the creator. Um, but I do think sometimes you realize while you're writing that the thing you had planned for them to do doesn't actually work, doesn't quite fit, um, and, and the writing sort of resists it. So, um, y- you know, you if you're, if you're smart, you write toward the thing that your, your subconscious is telling you because yeah. uh, that's usually going to be right. What, 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 what folks are describing in a lot of this um, is the process of thinking through the story. Mm-hmm. And... One of the things that uh, I think is under-considered is the way that outlining a story is thinking through the story, and writing a draft is also thinking through the story. And, you know, when you're when you're in the process of going through something and seeing how it works and playing with it and 
And yeah, sometimes you will change your mind at the last moment or you will change your mind um, and kind of surprise yourself about, you know, oh, 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 no, no, this is what I was going for. No, this is the thing that makes the most sense. Um, I, I, I resist um, pushing that out into a kind of platonic character who exists outside my head because there's just this whole kind of... There's this, there's this mythology of um, thought forms outside our own minds that we call into existence that it doesn't... I, I, I don't think that's a particularly useful mm-hmm. worldview, um, and so I, I push against it a little bit. But yes, absolutely, there are times when you're thinking through this that you realize what you had been thinking isn't the right one and there's something else that works better yeah i'm the same way i'm very suspicious of mythologizing the creative process uh you know i I wait until my muse speaks to me um you know that sort of thing Uh, i think that mythologizing is actually uh, a negative i think it's harmful to the creator because then it it takes it out of their hands it makes uh, so Mm -hmm. if i haven't gotten any work done it's not my fault it's that the muse hasn't spoken to me uh, you know i'm a firm believer that you get through writer's block by sitting your ass in a chair and pounding on the keyboard until some words that you can use start coming out you don't or or the words that you can't use come out and at least you wrote something well that's what i'm saying you you write a bunch of words you're not going to use and eventually it starts kinds of starts turning into words you will use but at least you you know you're getting some work done that sort of i i can't write until the muse begins speaking to me that sort of mythology of where creativity comes from i i I think it's actually a negative for creators and there's also i mean and part of what that feeds into also is the idea that you know we have some really uh toxic ideas about um creativity and um suffering and creativity and starving and creativity and um, all of the things that that a creative person is supposed to be in order to be creative. And so we wind up cultivating those things in our lives. You know, people who think, oh, I want to be like, uh, I, I love all the works of William S. Burroughs. He was such an amazing person. I know I'll shoot smack. You know, that's that's a bad plan. Um, yeah, and there's the whole wife shooting thing too. That's also a ten, minus. Tend to be frowned upon. Also, you know, try not to shoot your wife. That's I uh, think, he got away with it though. So you see, and that's why he's a, <laughs> that's why he's a bad model. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, so a moral lesson for today. <laughs> but no, the, the the kind of idea of a tortured artist and that all uh, art comes out of suffering, and therefore we should embrace our suffering. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy I the mythology that. of the drunk writer just because I, I I like that one. But Daniel's never had a drink in his life, and he's written twenty one books, so it, it's not a one to one relationship. Okay, okay. Well, how has it changed now since uh, been working on the television series? Let's talk about the genesis into that. You've gone from game to novel series, and then to sci-fi was was that always the plan was there ever a plan i shouldn't say always the plan but in the back of your head boy you know no. were you dreaming that someday ooh, this make a t- good movie or no or no the point of writing a book is to make a shitty movie i mean if you can <laughs> if, you're, if you're if you're trying to write a good movie you should write a good movie um the point of writing a novel is to do something that you can only do in prose to bring some experience that you're not going to get sitting in front of the screen that's that's what books are for. Yeah, I mean, famously, uh, George Martin, 
said that uh, you know he had worked in Hollywood for ten years. He got very tired of producers telling me, "Well, we don't." You know, he would write a crowd scene of a hundred people chanting, and the producer would come and say, "Well, we can afford four. Is it okay if there's four people chanting?" <laughs> um, and he would say, "You know, he would write a scene where." You know, two people ride up to a massive castle and, and bang on the gate and are greeted by a dozen knights. And the producer will go, okay, we can't do a castle, but we can do an apartment in Reseda. <laughs> Is that okay? I mean, all of that has changed with digital. I mean, but it, Well, no, it, it really hasn't because things still cost money. Yeah. But, but he got, just got tired of that being the response to everything. So when he left Hollywood and went home, he wrote Game of Thrones deliberately as a rejection of that. Everything was gigantic. You know, there was the Great Wall that's a thousand feet high, and there's, you know, there's, you know, giant battles with with tens of thousands of people in them. And he was writing because he knew he could do. He had no budget limitation. He could do anything he wanted. So the great irony, of course, is then they said, "Hey, that thing that you wrote that cannot possibly be filmed. We're going to film that." Um, so it's the same kind of thing. I mean, yeah. we when we're writing the books, we're not thinking. You know, it's like there's a hundred ships and they're all shooting at each other in orbit around Jupiter. Um, how, uh, how are we going to produce that? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that makes a producer break out in a cold sweat. But while we're writing the books, we don't care. We're going to do whatever we want to do. Right, but you have been invo- involved in the transition yeah. to television. Oh, yeah. And, no. you've written epi- and you've written at least one episode. Uh, we have written three episodes and are working on uh, a fourth right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, there, it is a, a vicious and bitter irony that <laughs> our first part of the process is to make the second part harder. That's 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 what we do. <laughs> well, has it does that change the way? Do you look at the characters differently when you're writing them? Because now you have actors that you've seen do these things. No, they're, they're they occupy very different spaces in our in our heads, and we've been very careful. It actually hasn't been hard to do, but we've tried to be very careful to not cross those streams. You know, I mean the the Naomi in the book is six and a half feet tall. The Naomi on TV is like five eight. Um, they're they're just physically different, and if you start writing the book Naomi as if she's five eight, it's going to feel very strange. And all of the things that the actors bring to the characters change them. Um, the, Dominique's Naomi and Ah, uh, the book Naomi, uh, have a different spin to them, and they're both great. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. very fond of both versions of that character, um, but they are not identical. And and no, that's not actually. Um, peculiar to our project. If you look at the my, my example on this one is always that you know you, that you have any number of Batmans. You've got uh, Batman sixty six. You've got the the Tim Burton Batman. You've got the Nolan Batman. You've got the the one from Brave and the Bold. You've got the one from The Dark Knight Returns. And they're all Batman. Um, just we've got a couple of Naomi's. We've got a couple of Holdens. We've got a couple of Avasarallas. Um and they are the same character and they are different spins on it and they they exist together quite comfortably Mm -hmm. and you bring that up with all the different versions of batman and you've done work for dynamite could you envision an expanse comic coming well there's actually an expanse comic right now that is being uh written by a couple of the folks who are in the writing room um it's called expanse origins is it yeah it's a it's a it's but it's based on the uh, tv show um okay Timeline. It's so based on it's, yeah. sort of the TV show thing. So the the characters in the comics are from the TV show continuity, not from the book continuity. Yeah. But those are being done by uh, Hallie Lambert and, and Georgia Lee, who are also writing for the who show. are both writers on the show. Yeah. So what's the process of you being in the writers' room for that for the for the television show? 
Or are you in the writer's room? We are in the writer's room. We we have spent um, probably a year in the writer's room in the last three years, um, maybe more than that. Um, we go in, and there's this room full of really intelligent, thoughtful, talented, practiced uh, writers, and we chew through um, the story and talk about where we're going to start it and where we're going to stop it and what needs to happen in the meantime and what needs to change in order to fit the toolbox that we're using now instead of the toolbox we had when we were writing novels. And we'll literally spend weeks um, just chewing it over and talking about it and figuring out what's going to work and what's not and then eventually um, go to outline and go to script and we'll all break and, and write different scripts and bring them back and then it falls upon uh, the showrunner uh, Narain Shankar who is really really good at his job to coordinate all of us and, and uh, tweak the scripts and fix the stuff that we didn't quite get right or that didn't quite um, track from one script to another and then we take it up to Toronto and put it on film. And you're several novels ahead of where the, sh- the show would be. So do you have moments like, say, on Game of Thrones, we're at the point where Game of Thrones is, is ahead of where the books are. Uh, J.K. Rowling had that problem with, with Harry Potter, that there were things coming in and having to say, like, no, don't do that, because are there things where you have to, where you have to stop? You know secrets or ideas that... You want to explore that the, the series was about to go one way. Oh yeah, no, we we will often have to say to Narain, uh, you know, they'll they'll want to do something with a character, and we'll say, no, you can't do that um, because it's going to step on something you're going to want here's, to do later. Here's what it's going to break three books from now that uh, yeah. is is probably not something you want to break. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, how did you decide which one was Toastmaster and which one was Writer's Festival? <laughs> um. Well, they asked me to be guest of honor first, and then uh, <laughs> then they asked Ty to be Toastmaster. I don't know. They, that's that's that wasn't a decision we made. Yeah. Okay, so there was no battle involved. Uh, no, no. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things you have famous. Let's talk about your work for Dynamite. You've adapted Game of Thrones. You've worked on Wild Cards I, as, I as well. Did a uh, uh, several stories for the Wild Cards universe and uh, a standalone comic book project um, that wound up getting rescued by the fine folks at, at Dynamite um, after a different company let us say dropped the ball a bit Darren, yeah the, that was a yeah those guys yeah those guys those <laughs> guys <laughs> no I don't know them you know yes several um, balls have been dropped uh, but Dynamite has picked that but up but Dynamite was great I, I, I love Dynamite it's, uh, they are a pleasure to work with would you be interested in, crea- in creating your? In, I mean, Wild Cards is sort of, to an extent, doing your original, your own concepts in comics. Are there any in your head? Oh yeah, no. I have a. I have the the great huge graphic novel project that I would totally love to do just as soon as I have any spare time. But uh, I don't have any spare time. A decade from now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, just as soon as that happens, you betcha. What genre is that? Um. It's a very good question. Okay. It's it's um, now I'm intrigued. Wh- diesel punk? I don't know. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, 1920s-ish uh, alternate history. A little noir or um, 
Maybe. More, more, more gangbusters. Okay, cool. But yeah, that's, that, it. It would be a great thing to do later on when there's time to do it, right? Yeah. Okay. Ty, how about you? Future, future thoughts, projects that you'd like to explore once there's time. No, I, I very much look forward to being retired. <laughs> well, what are your retirement plans? A ranch somewhere? Uh, I don't know, but it. I, I, that's that's the whole for me. The entire goal of retirement is to not have a plan. I like it. <laughs> you come together as James S. A. Corey and describe this as being like the trying to be a tribute to those grouchy writers of the seventies. What what do you do at conventions to live up to that persona? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't do anything. We, we need to work harder. Very at bad at being. Ideally, what we would do is. Uh, Sit in the back of the con bar, kind of in, away from people as much as possible, and um, complain about uh, everything that's happened in publishing in the last thirty years. While we get other people to buy our scotch, um, that that's kind of the. But wait, didn't you say he's never had a scotch? Well, I'm saying we don't do a good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> that, ideally, that would be what we were up to, but we're we're kind of crap at pulling it off in person and it's hard to work up that anger at the new younger writers when you are the one new, of the new <laughs> younger writers you, you gotta have been in the business for 30 years before you can be very angry at all the new people yeah. who are showing up all of those yeah. people who are coming and stealing those Hugos that I clearly deserved I, you know, I can't really go there I can't I can't work myself up to it I you know other people can be angry about not having gotten the the things that they so clearly deserved i'm just happy with what i got all right do you have it yeah i've got a bunch i thought you would so uh, uh more fanish uh, if if you were alive in your own world in your own solar system where do you think you'd end up being which which of the well let's just let's say of the three areas that you you potentially could live where where do you think you would end up I could pick. Yeah, I, I would yeah. probably wind up um, Mars. I would probably wind up on Mars. In, on Mars. Um, I like Mars because um, I I have all of my computer stuff is Apple, and okay. uh, Mars is really the the Apple of uh, of the Expanse universe. The upstart. <laughs> it's, it's it's all integrated. It all works together gracefully. Um, it's not you know it's it it's it is what it is. It's you know. A little fascist, maybe, but it works. So uh, that's a great ad for Apple. <laughs> yeah, a little fascist, maybe, but it works. Well, that, in the, I mean, that's a great slug punchline for them. In, in the writers' room, they they actually we used that illustration that that Earth was was Windows, um, <laughs> that that Mars was Apple, and that the oh belt God. and the belt is Linux, Linux. on <laughs> some some server in somebody's closet <laughs> with wires poking out and you right. know it's a homebrew version of yeah Linux, yeah, right? yeah exactly uh, without any without any uh gui just you know type the line so command code. line all yeah, command all line. command line so would you be out there in, in linux land or oh my or god no where would no you be? i would i would really hope to be one of the very rich privileged people on earth okay who lives in a walled compound with servants that would be amazing um <laughs> and and just sort of ignores the fact that my my privilege is built on the back of thousands of poor struggling belters yeah and we left yeah. the fourth out was you wouldn't want to be on the Nauvoo oh my god no no 
No, that's that's a that's a terrible plan. Uh, the, let's take ourselves and get on a generation ship and just hope that our grandfathers were good at engineering. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's sort of built around the idea we we're going to go here so that our children can populate this new world. And I don't actually have kids or want them. So they wouldn't want me on that ship to begin with. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, mm-hmm. It's like I'm just hanging out, I guess. You got hijacked <laughs> so easy, too. I'm like, like, yeah. No. So um, before you became S.A. Corey, before you, before you started working with uh, George and started writing your own novels, what was your fandom? What 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 were you gaga over in 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 the the things we we treasure in fandom? I'm a I'm a movie fan. Um, that's that was my thing. Um, I love sci-fi movies. I love horror movies, and I love anything that is a mix of the two. So I mean, uh, we've been very open about the fact that uh, the movie Alien, the first one, was a huge influence on the Expanse. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, early Ridley Scott, you know. Uh, Blade Runner and Alien; those are two, I think, two of the best science fiction movies ever made. Alien Covenant. Um, I I have not seen it and don't particularly have any interest because I I think that franchise has lost its way. And after Prometheus, I'm sort of done. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I um, and and that's not to say that the people who enjoyed Prometheus and the new Alien movie are wrong. It's just entirely personal preference. Um, but I, I I like my sci-fi smart. I mean. Uh, the thing with Alien was there were people who were completely caught off guard. They had no idea what was happening to them, and and they kept they kept making smart choices. They kept trying to make smart choices. They kept trying to do the right thing to to save themselves. Uh, I I have a harder time with plots that where the plot points are all driven by people being stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I couldn't get through Prometheus because it's like here's black goo. It's biological. It's sticking in our face. Um, I, like who does that? I, I not only do scientists not do that, but even just a random like I, I've walked down the street and seen black goo in the gutter, and at Never no point touch it. Never. At no point did I say <laughs> I'm going to stick that on my finger. Um, <laughs> it, What's it taste like? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so when the plot is driven by those sorts of decisions, I, I have a harder time with that. Uh, other people are more forgiving that, or or. It, that doesn't bother them, and I'm not saying those people are wrong, um, but for me personally, that I don't get. I, I really like when everybody is smart. Um, I, I think James Cameron does fantastic sci-fi uh, movies because it, it always feels like everybody is smart. Um, you know, Aliens is a great movie. With, the Abyss. The Abyss is a great movie. Oh, everybody yeah. seems like they're smart mm-hmm. uh, and and trying to make the right decisions, trying to do the right things. Uh, so that kind of that kind of stuff was definitely definitely my fandom and i love horror movies um especially smart horror movies which is a much smaller percentage <laughs> of horror movies yeah i i, I like the, i like the horror movie where the person goes oh my god there's a killer in the house i'm gonna get in my car and drive away i'm like okay i'm gonna watch the entire movie <laughs> yeah, now drive, because right. yeah i i, I can't remember, was it insidious uh, but there's a there's a horror movie that came out of a few years back which starts out and it seems like a haunted house movie where they move into the house and it seems like all these paranormal things are happening. Their son is being attacked by like demons or whatever. And the next scene is they have moved to a different house. And I'm like, this is brilliant horror. Yeah, I think that's insane. Yeah, I was like, that's brilliant horror because that is the that's the movie I always. Those are the characters I want to see in horror movies. They're like, oh my god, I think this house is haunted. Let's, Let's leave. leave. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, okay, we're all moving. Let's put our stuff in the car. I'm pouring gasoline on the house behind us. <laughs> right. As we drive away, we'll see the flames in our rear view mirror. That I love that kind of horror movie. Right. Yeah, for for yeah, I grew up on like the old Star Trek. That was the stuff that I was watching when I was 
I was growing up in in more recent decades though um because because of where we are right now i'm I'm reminded of my love of twin Peaks, which uh, yeah. was was uh and is deep and uh sometimes earned and sometimes just given um and I'm also uh a, a, an ongoing and uh committed advocate for Babylon five. I think Babylon 5 was um, a tremendously important piece of science fiction literature and uh, a project that really changed a lot of how we watch television in a way that I think is underappreciated. Yeah, I think it's totally under... I think it's fallen. Uh, Not as many people are getting into it now. Younger people should. Well, Daniel has a rant about beautiful beautiful failures and ugly successes involving X-Files and Babylon 5 that's definitely worth listening to at the bar. Oh, I think we have time. (laughs) Go ahead. I I think Babylon 5 is... um, it it had and I understand this comes from a place of deep love. So understood. Um, That's why we're here. When I say this, it comes. It has some of the worst acting ever put to film. That you need to be a little drunk to get through the first season. It was painful. the The CGI was great at the time, and it has not held up well. Um, many of the 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 uh, individual moments, the individual episodes were kind of wooden and and difficult and um and it succeeded it was a tremendously successful project um it knew exactly where it was going things that happened in the first season two seasons paid off in the third and fourth seasons in ways that were profound um and when you get to the end of the last episode and you go back and you rewatch the pilot episode all of it was set up. Structurally, it was perfect. Um, and then you have the X-Files, which had incredibly charismatic actors, wonderful chemistry, uh, scary, funny scripts, sharp uh, episodes all the way through, and it failed. It, it, it was one of those stories that went on until people got bored and left. Um, and even now, when we with the the reboot, a lot of what I see when I, I go back to the X Files is why I stopped watching the X Files. Yeah. Um, and it's about knowing what your story is going in. It's about committing mm-hmm. to your story going in, and it's about laying in all of the structural elements you need so that when you get to that last moment and it ends, it's satisfying. Um, and Babylon Five. For all of the the kind of uh, mid course corrections that it had to make, um, told a story that it knew what the story was and it it nailed the ending. I actually had an argument with Tony Lee at, at Gallifrey One this year about that because X Files to me is the same thing. Char- charismatic, love everything about Happened. the concept, yeah. but he did not know. Well, as, as you were the one who actually revealed to me, oh yeah, that the explanation I was for what's going up. on is a hidden track on the movie soundtrack. If you get the movie soundtrack, this the last cut in it, it goes into the music, and then there's like a 15-minute exposition as to what's been going on through the whole series. But that was like six years in. Yeah. And you had it's to know crazy. that was there. And then he was making it up as they go along. So the argument I got in Tony Lee was he disagrees and thinks that you don't have to know where you're going. 
That's, yeah. That is that is an error. <laughs> Thank you. That is a Thank mistake. You. Tony, if you're listening. Um, uh, <laughs> well, and and um, so. since we're here, I'm going to plug a couple of other things. Um, Please. Um, the, the, we were talking about other shows that were um, very good about knowing what their story was were and did things that you could not have done without knowing that. Um, if you haven't seen something called The Good Place. Oh, absolutely. Love it. It is um, a half-hour comedy, situation comedy, with Ted Danson and Kristen Let's Bell. Stop for a second. How many have watched The Good Place this year? Okay. Just my son? Oh, my okay. gosh. All, uh, <laughs> all the rest of y'all, you're in part of today's Lucky 10,000. Um, this, is, this is a brilliant show. It has a premise that you will look at and think, well, this is going to be really funny for about three episodes, and then they'll be out of ideas. And that's exactly what I thought. And then you'll think, oh, okay, well, no, they're, they're, they're being smart. They're getting farther along with this, but there's no way. There's, there is literally no emotionally satisfying ending to this story. They can't get to the, the end of the season and actually have this, this work. This, can't, this, can't, this isn't a story that you can do, and then they do. And you think, oh, no, okay, these guys are good. And 13, 13 episodes. Because yeah. that's another shift in television, too. I mean, that's it's, yeah, it's the meant shorter. to be that half season or by what used to be the standard. Right? Yeah, and it's it's brilliant. And the other one, the other, uh, I think, example of really well-structured story is the first season of Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen that one, it's a, it's a murder mystery where... You get to the end, and the, the killer Kristen is Bell. The, both Kristen Bell. She yeah, did. it's possible Daniel just really liked Kristen Bell. <laughs> I don't. I don't like everything Kristen Bell has done, but uh, but those two. You get to the end of, of uh, the first season of Veronica Mars, and the killer is revealed. And you think, yeah, no, that oh, that's totally fair. Yeah, it's in the writers' room. They describe it. Uh, Robin Veith is the one who sort of coined this phrase in the room. I think um, she described it as surprising inevitability. Where when you when the answer is revealed, you go, oh, it only could have been that, and you're still surprised. Yeah. Uh, and if you can find a way to deliver that to an audience, it is about as satisfying as as a story can be. Is when you get that moment of, oh my god, of course, everything was saying it was that, everything was leading up to that, and I still didn't see it until yeah. just now. But the penny didn't drop till exactly yeah. when it was. And then it, to, and because yeah. that moment then makes you mentally go back through everything you've seen before mm-hmm. and revisit every moment and go. Oh, but suddenly I understand why that guy did that thing, and I understand why that person had that reaction, and and it just the whole it's almost like a flower unfolding if you can deliver that moment, and uh, not very many storytellers can pull it off. It's yeah, a I difficult thing that. to do. I'm trying to think. I, the only thing I can come up with is six cents. Six, six cents. Is six cents has that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, and it's 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 tricky to do, and it. Unfortunately for uh, the director of The Sixth Sense, it became sort of a vice. He kept trying to do it. Yeah. Um, and and when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so you can get trapped trying to make it happen when or trying to force it. Yeah, I mean, well, you find some of that alters too. The Good Place is an interesting situation where, again, because it's 13 episodes, but you see like on Netflix shows that are developed completely in their bubble and dropped all at once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have you found, like, say, in The Expanse, for television, are people, are fans writing in and responding? Are, is sci-fi saying, you know, could you alter this? Could you change this a little bit? Because well, There are actually different cuts um, for the, the broadcast and streaming. I mean, if you look at the, the streaming version of The Expanse, we close up all of the, the black spaces where the ads go and... Mm-hmm. Uh, re-edit things a little bit to to make it all kind of seamless. Um, so that 
on on that level at least that's already happened. Yeah, but I mean the show isn't being broadcast while we're shooting it. So it's it's not like people could watch the first couple episodes and then go, "Oh, I'm angry about this and you should change it." And then the network comes and says, "Oh, for the last 3 episodes you need to change the thing." Uh I mean it's it's all been shot before. It it may not have all been finalized by the time the first episode airs as far as like color correction and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it's all it's all in the can. Um because, you know, we're only doing 13 episodes. I like the uh, explanation you gave. I wanted to give you an opportunity to say again as to why you didn't end the first season where the first book ended. Well, am I saying that in public now? Okay. Uh, oh, were you, were you, oh. <laughs> sure, I can say it. Okay. Um, I, for one thing, uh, if we had tried to put the whole of uh, the first book into season one, uh, it, it would have been rushed. It would have, been, it would have felt rushed. Um, there was it needed to have enough room to do the story right, and I I think that was absolutely the right um, thing to do. And also, I perhaps coincidentally uh, to that, um, it made it harder for us to be canceled because we weren't at a good ending point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that actually had anything to do with the decision, but it made me happy. It was a great season ender, though. I mean, it was a great place to it. Was it. a good place. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the other thing, and and Noreen, the showrunner, is the one who pointed this out. Um, that you know, you there were things about the story he didn't want to rush through, and uh, in a conversation I had with him, he talked about how we're almost training the audience how to watch our show because our show doesn't do any of the sort of standard tropes. So, I mean, when you're when you're watching a new science fiction show that you've never seen before, in the first episode, they go, "All right, we need to get to Andromeda," and somebody throws a big lever and the ship blasts off in a streak of light. We don't even need to know what that is. We're just, "Oh, it's warp drive, or it's faster than light, or what?" We just sort of because we've seen Star Trek, we've seen Battlestar Galactic, we've seen all of those things. We know what warp we drive. We have looks the like. idioms. We have all those idioms. Our ships. Um, you know, so in the first episode, one of the big CGI sequences is that they need to stop next to something. So they turn the whole ship around mm-hmm. and do a massive burn of the engines and everybody's getting squashed into their chairs. Uh, and like, we need to show people that that's how it works because they don't know that. They don't, they're like, well, just, you just turn the ship left and you just drive over there. And then you, you, yeah. you let off the gas and it slows down. Yeah. Right. Um, that because that's sort of the training that everybody has in sci- in in viewing sci-fi and he said we need to take our time and let people sort of understand what our world works like because they're not they've never seen it before. And and we still have people who don't understand even two seasons in they have not quite grokked that the ships aren't boats, they're skyscrapers. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you know the fact that the decks are orthogonal to the direction of thrust is not something we're used to thinking about. Right. You, you haven't been trained that way, but any no, other science right. fiction. <laughs> almost, all, almost everything else uh, treats it like it's a submarine, mm-hmm. and we're, we're treating it like it's a spaceship. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, th- those things take time, and they take uh, attention. And of course, in the books, you just, you can just tell You can just yeah. tell people. Like, yeah. the, the whole thing about acceleration and the, the chairs that drug you so that you can withstand it, and you show that in the show, but it's not—it's not told so much. It's—it's. It's, it would be kind yeah. of weird to have someone say, "Well, you know, as you know, Dave." Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, and that, that would be the CW version. Yeah. Well, without without spoilers, that was why. Yeah. I think when you had, uh, I think it's—it's it's hard when you read a book and you'd never tried to say the names names out loud. But right. Bossa, Baja, Baja, Baja uh, from uh, from uh, New Earth. Um, 
when he's up in the ship, he ha- you have an opportunity to he doesn't know anything that's working, and so yeah, explain the railgun and stuff. If you can if you can find elegant places to do that, it's yeah. it's fun to do. But I mean, there's that's the joke, you know. The, as you know, Bob's story. I mean, it's uh, I, I I read uh, the Asimov collection uh, uh, before the Golden Age. Um, which oh, is yeah. his the collection of stories that he edited that were all the stories he read as a kid. So we're talking stories from like the, you know the like nineteen fifteen and nineteen twenty. You know that that were science fiction stories from that period. And there's an astonishing number of them, which the entire story is a scientist lecturing another scientist about things they would both already know. And it is absolutely the <laughs> as you know Bob story. You know as you know Bob cosmic, cosmic rays cosmutation. And and then a whole lengthy description of how that works. Uh, we've sort of gotten away from that. Sci-fi has gotten a little more sophisticated uh, from those days. And and now you need to find ways to show that without having two people stand and lecture each other in a room about it. Uh, so, yeah, it is definitely trickier. And part of what we're doing with the show is is letting things letting things visually happen that sort of explain the universe. Uh, in in the, the fourth episode of the first season, there's a battle between a, a big battleship and a, a, several smaller ships that are attacking it. And one of the things Narain really wanted to have happen in that episode, because it's, it's from the books too, is that both groups fire off massive waves of, waves of torpedoes, and then everybody just kind of hangs around because the distances are so vast <laughs> yeah. that, that they fire off torpedoes, and then you know the captain's drinking tea, and they're having a conversation, and we're watching on the screen as we saw those torpedoes take off, and they're blistering fast. But on the screen, they're going like this. Because they're you know they're millions of kilometers mm-hmm. apart when the torpedoes are fired, um, he, and he really wanted that. And you know the network's like, well, can't we just you know they fire the <laughs> torpedoes? Can't the <laughs> torpedoes just be hitting? Because then it's just more exciting and more energetic. And he's like, no, they, we need people to understand that when the battle takes place, these ships are enormous distances from each other. Yeah, those any of those torpedoes is traveling farther than any terrestrial thing has ever gone. Um, yeah. And it's, this this is this is casual. This is a, a normal thing. Yeah, what, one of the things that we talk about in the room a lot is is how most sci-fi shows make space small. That mm-hmm. that getting from place to place is is like driving to the corner store. That that battles take place as if the ships are right next to each other. That everything is just very in, in a very condensed space, and they do that because filmically, it's easy to understand. Um, and our the thing that sort of sets our series apart, I think, is that we we don't hand wave that away. That that things are really far apart. That going from Earth to Ganymede is is a long trip, and you can't just turn on the hyperdrive and you're at Ganymede. And that when ships fire at each other, they, there's no reason for them to wait until they're right next to each other. That I mean, you, ships can fire at each other from across the solar system if they want to with guided weapons, and why wouldn't they? Um, and and allowing for the fact that those things are going to take a really long time to get to their get to their target yeah in terms of uh cultural impact within the within the expanse universe and it was like dune gets referenced what else has survived in your minds because <laughs> i just thought it was funny out of nowhere suddenly there's a reference to dune and like how do, wait what that's still there oh. you know <laughs> of you all know, books it's, but it's uh yeah I, I i think dune is a very important uh science fiction novel and um the fact that we keep trying to remake it as a movie, like every 10 years we try to <laughs> yeah. remake it as a movie, uh, it, it, I think proves that, that that one is one that's not going away anytime soon. Um, you know, I, we, 
Uh, the Book of Mormon has survived, but what else? Of course. Uh, well, all I mean, I, I think all the religions survive in one form or another. Um, I don't think humans are going to stop being religious over the next couple hundred years. It just it's unlikely. Well, I, it, there's a lot of stuff that, that you know, individual documents and performers may not have survived, but the process of pop culture is still part of the expanse. I mean, we we still have. Uh, you know, musicians who are and performance artists and movies that are going on in the background of all of this. You know, Alex uh, Alex Kamal, our pilot, has this thing where he has a, a lot of neo noir movies that he watches while they're in transit from one place to another. It's kind of his enthusiasm. You know, mm-hmm. it's his fandom. Um, and we have different. The genres of music that are are popular that get mentioned and and we're not allowed to have baseball though. So our showrunner Narain Shankar, uh, his his very first <laughs> really yes his very first Hollywood job was he was a technical advisor uh, for early seasons of Next Generation Star Trek Next Generation and then wound up being a staff writer on Next Generation um, and wrote for that for several seasons and then went on to other other sci fi shows from there and, and other shows, but. He, it drove him nuts that there were only two things left of human culture in the Star Trek universe, Shakespeare and baseball. And he said, why? Why are those the <laughs> only two things that are left? The only reference you can make to entertainment in the Star Trek universe is it has to be Shakespeare or classical music. or And the only sport that is left is baseball. The only sport anyone ever talks about in Star Trek is baseball. And he just drove him nuts. He's like, I, I, I don't understand why those are the only two things that exist. And uh, so we, we're not allowed to have any baseball okay. in the Expanse. Did, but in the Expanse universe, did soccer win or football? Soccer, soccer totally well, won. And, did, and by soccer, I mean football. You mean I mean football? Well, right. yes. Yeah. Uh, um, I think I think a lot of American football gets played on Earth. Um, and nobody else, nobody and else, nobody knows, else knows what that is. Knows what cares. it is or cares. No. It's a little ghettoized uh, sport. Well, I mean, it's it, you know, living in the United States, we think. Uh, American football is very important. You go outside the United States. Nobody knows what you're talking very about. Very few people have any idea what right. you're talking about. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you you see people wearing Super Bowl shirts in other, other countries. They just bought that shirt because it seemed cool in America, and they don't even know what the Super Bowl is. And we have and, – and rugby made it. We have references to okay. rugby. Yeah. Um, so rugby and soccer <laughs> made it. American football, not so much. Yeah, I mean, sports uh, – I mean, the reason that soccer is the most popular sport in the world is because it requires one thing. It requires a ball. So no matter how impoverished your part of the world is and how little access you have to sporting equipment, somebody has a ball. Something to carry I mean, around. even 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 mm-hmm. like in some places, they just make a ball out of tying a bunch of rags together, right. and that's enough to play soccer with. And if you can get a, a dirt field and draw a line at both ends and say that's where the goals are, mm-hmm. that's enough. Then you're, then you're playing soccer. You are yeah. playing soccer. Um, and And – I feel like that translates that, that, you know, on Mars you would still have – sorry, even though it's a third of the gravity, the game is a little different because you can do moves yeah. you couldn't that's do. Cla- that's classic yeah. uh, science fiction. It was always like the sports on other planets kind right. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, one of the things that shows up in the, in the second season of the show, um, which I actually thought was a, a really good thing. This is Robin Veith's idea again. She's one of our writers. She said, what are the sports that – would develop in Belter or would be popular in uh, Belter culture because you don't have space, you don't have big open fields where you can play soccer. And she said it's going to be handball because mm-hmm. almost everywhere there's going to be a, a metal room somewhere that you can go in as long as you have a ball and you can smack it off the wall. So we have 
two of the Belter characters playing handball in the second season. And and I think that's actually right. I think she's absolutely right that that's a sport that would be very... Isn't there somebody who's like in a prison or in in prison at some point throwing a ball back and forth? Throwing a number... That's not us. That's not us. Oh, it's Cool Hand Luke. No, Cool Hand Luke. That was the one. uh, Chicken Run. The Great Escape. No, I... No, I... We're good. We do have a prisoner in the second season, but his sports are... um, Writing on the window with food and beating other prisoners to death with benches, yeah. And and those uh, are the two sports he plays. Well, and and, it's and easier science. to score, yeah. yeah. So much easier to score. And you know, watching people be taken apart by strange alien structures, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. the The idea that uh, that we have a character who has been has been surgically. Take, uh, taken apart in his brain where he doesn't have any empathy mm-hmm. is I've I, it's such a it's such an amazing thought I've never heard of any oh, anybody I, else had done, done I ha- that I have bad news for you man oh really yeah it's not yours no I got it off Nova Science now really yeah no there was so it exists yeah oh yeah no oh, that's my. that's speculation that's, that's speculation based on science that's not even me but yeah. it's just so horrific thank you. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's it's and half the CEOs, right? It's part of the reason that I, I sort of you know I'm a, a naturalist and a materialist, and I sort of believe in the mechanistic universe because you know the the thing that that we are uh, as intelligences, as as uh, we assume self aware beings, um, you can absolutely change who we are by just cutting pieces out or banging a magnet off of a part of our brain, or I mean, you can absolutely just completely alter a person with chemicals and electrical stimulus and surgeries um, that it's, it's hard for me to justify the idea that we are anything but this meat that that are is in our brains because you if you mess with the meat you'd absolutely change the person and yet and they have done uh, I mean it's not certainly not as extreme as we've done in the show but there have been experiments in which um, carefully targeted magnetic fields, uh, have changed people's sense of morality. Yeah, the actor who plays that. Oh, isn't he great? He's he's scarier than the proto molecule. He's just like, oh. yeah. He he was quite a find uh, when we were casting that part. He's a um, he's a local actor up in Toronto. Uh, he's primarily done stage work. He's a stage actor, um, and it, and a well well thought of and well and quite sought after stage actor uh, up there. Um, He's a great find. He he just has this. Uh, I I think it's his stage training. He has this intensity that he can really project to the back row with very small movements. Yeah. And and uh, that's such that's such a, a an aspect of stage training that he he doesn't have to be very demonstrative, but you really feel the energy coming off of him uh, in in even just his smallest movements. And he had done a lot of work before he came on to set. He had read the story that that character is drawn from, which is, it's not one of the novels. It's uh it's a, one of the novellas that's associated with uh, the novels. And he he had read that and he had studied the character. He, had, he was going through and figuring out who exactly the character was named after. I mean, it was it was pretty deep yeah. uh when he when he just stepped in the room. So, he he was he came ready to play. Terrific. So we already talked about becoming rich and famous. I think before we actually started the show, and if you became and and, and 
Make becoming, sure you say we are neither. Right. <laughs> but but we, the idea that neither rich becoming nor rich famous. and being able to em, empower yourself without being famous. If you if you as as you eventually will be magnificently rich and, and respected people <laughs> yeah. in, in oh, television yeah. and movies, what would you want to adapt to somebody else's work? Um, yeah, I okay, so I, I have the answer to this. Yeah. Um, it's impossible. It cannot be done. Okay. But if I had infinite money and infinite access to creative people, um, I have always wanted to see The Stars My Destination oh. as something. I, and I don't have Kelly any idea Foyle. how you do it. I don't have yeah. – I mean it's it's too weird. It's got too many weirds. It, it breaks the classic I'll rule. I'll back your Kickstarter. Thank you. <laughs> but it, there's, there's the rule that in science fiction you're allowed one weird. Yeah. Um, and it totally breaks that rule. You know, it's got – it's got all the the weird stuff with with the the space war and all that, and then it's got jaunting. Yeah. Where, like, how does that fit in? And the major character is a psychopath. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it's way too weird. But um, it is ten novel length ideas jammed into a novella. Basically, yeah. I think it's like sixty, fifty or sixty thousand words long. I mean, they wouldn't even publish it as a novel these days. Um, and it's it's got ten novel length ideas in it, and you, we just blow past them. And he. You know, he invents cyberpunk in that book yeah. um, because, you know, the Martian Marines are all uh, cybernetically modified to have faster reflexes and be deadlier. And it's just sort of a thing. And, and you know, we blow right past that. We've got uh, telepathy. We've got jaunting. We've got the idea that there's this war between the inner and Jaunting's outer planets. Teleportation. Teleportation. Um, that, the war between the inner and outer planets. The The idea that no one has ever jaunted through space that that's impossible and then we discover that gully um had has been capable of that all this time and and he didn't know and, and you've got the you've got the belters i mean people always ask are, are your belters based on on niven and, and you you can't help but be influenced by niven he's such an important voice in the field but really our belters are based on on uh bester bester you know the the sargasso asteroid and the mm-hmm. weirdos living on the sargasso asteroid oh, when, yeah when uh, Gullifold gets taken there, I mean that, th- that all that stuff really locked. I read that story when I was like eleven, which is way too young to read that story. Um, <laughs> there's there's some there's some dark stuff in there. There's some sexual violence in there that would not be okay nowadays, um, and justifiably not okay. Uh, but you know, I mean, it, all those sort of weird things locked into my brain at at age eleven. If there was a way to do it, I would love to do that. I. But I do think it's impossible. I think there's no way you can tell that story. The the one we we t- pushed to uh, to try to get adapted that hasn't gone, but that I I would love to revisit at some point is a book by Sherry Priest called uh, Maplecroft. Yeah, uh, it is no, it no. is uh, Anne Boleyn versus Cthulhu. Ooh. And no, it's not, no, no, it's not. Anne Boleyn. <laughs> it's oh, no, it's right, Lindsay right, Borden. Lindsay Borden. Other, 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 even better. Other, other side of the axe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's an axe and a woman, and I, I got it mixed <laughs> yeah. up there. But yeah, no, yeah, that it's a uh, Lindsay Borden, and uh, and it's really well researched, and it's it's um, both uh, really creepy and horrific, and also kind of morally complex in a way that makes me very happy and I think would make uh, a stunning TV show or or really 
long, well-crafted movie. Yeah, we, we tried to develop it as a, as a TV show. It, it didn't... It, it, unfortunately, there was the other Lizzie Borden thing that came out right around that yeah, time. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. Christina Ricci. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, Christina and then all the air went out of that. Yeah, so so nobody's really interested in doing another Lizzie Borden but thing. But then that's the question. You know, Rick posed that as if you were rich and famous, but clearly, if you had the op- you were given the opportunity to at least pitch one. So, uh, you know, are is sci-fi coming back and saying, well, once the expanse is done, or even it's it's parallel? it's actually it's not it's not the network, it's not sci-fi uh, or the production company. Yeah, it's the studio. Uh, you know, because sci-fi broadcasts our show in the United States and is is a partner in developing it, but it's actually owned by the studio Alcon, and so we our our development deals are are through Alcon. Um, and yeah, and there are some doors open to us that were not open to us before the expanse. And now that there are some projects that, you know, nothing that is is you know, ready for a camera. But uh, there are some things that are there are irons that are in the fire. We'll see what happens. Excellent. I would I would I would Kickstarter. Well, hopefully, if, Al- <laughs> but if, if, if Alcon's involved, hopefully we won't have to. But yeah. maybe maybe you know we'll see. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. I think we're almost to the end of our of our time. So uh, thanks so much for being here. For those listening uh, at their own device or in this room here, of course, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, you can write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can find each and every podcast on our website. And uh, if there's a book we talked about here, because uh, mostly books talked about today, um, that you cannot find at your local brick and mortar store. You can go to Amazon, of course. We do have an Amazon box uh, link on fanboyplanet.com, and we get a tiny kickback for that. Uh, and if you just like to help defray the cost of, of hosting a podcast and a website, you can also donate to PayPal through editor at fanboyplanet.com. So once again, thank you. I'm Derek McCaw. I'm Ty Frank. <laughs> I'm, I'm Daniel Abraham. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to. Use your powers only for good. Excellent. Thank you so much. I love that you took the note. (laughs) (laughs) This is the moment. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. So you have the longer corded cape, uh, headphones, okay. which also have the cushy foam padding. Okay. And they do have an inline volume control, so if you hear too much or hear too little, you can slide that up and down. Right. It's very high tech. I, I can totally hear you guys without them, too. Okay. On, I, on the other hand, am boned. Yes, you're, you're, you're stuck. You're short, short-wired. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's more It's more that you can hear yourself and, right. and moderate. And we'll, we'll try to keep the piffle at a reasonable volume. I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't like hearing myself, though. The appropriate piffle. So we, I imagine people will wander in on a Monday morning. And they are. There he is. There we go. There's more wandering happening. We'll give him another five minutes. All right. Yeah. 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 This is where we have uh, banter that doesn't preclude the same questions asked in interview. Yeah. It's awkward. It's already like, this is like your 10th interview this uh, weekend. No. No, it's like second, maybe. Well, you had Sword and Laser. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we, uh, we talked to people. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we'll end up with folks curious about the same basic subject matters. So, you know. Excuse us if we... It's not always recorded. Covered, that's covered no, yeah, that's fine. No. It's all right. This is this is recorded. We will edit just to yeah. make you sound smarter. No, even <laughs> that's a, no amount of editing. There's a lot of big. Well, right. That's a tall order. Yeah, no. that's, you don't want to. Don't don't set your sights too high. It's it's. <laughs> no, but he'll he'll do some filtering that will also you know make your voice sound deeper. Occasionally, there will be <clears throat> the sound of monkeys. Excellent. Anything that can make me sound um, masculine and good-looking, do that. And then that's what he excels then, at. Then nobody will recognize me in public. It'll be perfect. Is that a problem? Being recognized in public? Yeah. Uh, not, not yet. I mean, that's it's not a. That is a good question. A, yeah. <laughs> I have, Dang it! Save that. <laughs> I have I have seen that happen to friends, yes. and uh, it looks. That 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 kind of fame looks like the sort of thing that's really really awesome for the first three weeks and then goes on for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, it's not just not a not a good thing. Not that's an a, aspiration. That's, that's when you really have to go for that reputation of being somebody who swings first and then, you know, so they don't don't approach. Yeah, him, don't ask I'm, him questions. There's, there's three versions. The Harlan of, Ellison. There's three versions of rich and famous. There is, uh, rich and famous. Which yeah, it's all right. Uh, I mean, you, if, if you're rich and famous, you can sort of deal with the fame piece right, by right. spending your way out of it. There's rich and not famous, which is awesome. awesome. That is the <laughs> best one. Yeah. And, then and there are famous, so many sci-fi authors that fit that, right? Right. And then there's famous and not rich, which is the absolute worst that's thing you can be. That's, that's people on your doorstep at three o'clock in the morning. And no, that's 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 reality TV. Stars, yeah, who who get famous and are recognizable, but get no money for that, right? Um, that's a terrible way to live because you spend the rest of your life trying to turn that into money, and you just become sad. Uh, well, I had a conversation with a, a producer once that, that tried to monetize that, like he wanted to do fiction projects with just reality stars. And he said, "Because we turn these people into stars, and then Hollywood turns their back on them." And I said, "That." That's Hollywood. Yeah, that's pretty like much who, that. Who isn't well, that? It's also for? because most of them aren't particularly talented. If they were, they would continue being used for things. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. No. Once 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 they have been monetized, they are done. They're, mm-hmm. they, someone else has made the money, and then then the world has moved on. Uh, our hope is that when the world has moved on from us, we will have captured enough of the cash that we can live in uh, <laughs> genteel poverty the rest of our days. But a yeah. small home in the co- in you know, cottage I, in the country. I was I was raised by hippies. It takes almost nothing to make me happy. Uh, my my standards of what a pleasant day day life look like are low. S- says the guy with the thousand dollar coffee maker. Yes. Yeah. I have, I, I <laughs> well, that's the one concession. <laughs> I bought it once, and it paid for itself in eight months. Yeah. Oh, it's the hippies, drugs kind of thing going on. Yeah. That's, I, that's, it just, it, I, I like the irony. I'm like, I, I enjoy the simple things in life, like $1,000 coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Did your coffee maker work? Not $1,000 coffee machines. Just the one. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one in every room, that would be... <laughs> Just the $1,000 coffee machine. So did your coffee maker require plumbing changes in the kitchen? No. No, No, it did not. So then you didn't go excess. You can tell you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I come from Microsoft, Ah. where people have conversations like, 
people really don't appreciate the tax advantage of owning your own carousel. Right. You know. Yeah, that's that's a, that's. I don't. Wait, I don't. I, 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 I don't appreciate the tax advantage of owning my own carousel. No. That's not a thing. Yeah. So, you're, like, you're still you're still on you're still in the same same purchase. Is that carousel like like? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm Logan's Run Carousel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, renew, that, renew. Could be. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> the tax advantage in killing everybody over. I need the age to talk 30. to my real estate agent. <laughs> no, but I, please tell me what the tax advantage of, of owning a carousel really would be if you, because you allow the children in the neighborhood in. once so once a year you donate some time to charity. I guess I don't I, know. that's. It was meant to be an absurd statement, Derek. Yeah. I, I thought maybe it was real though. It's Microsoft. <laughs> You don't know what's it, true. Actually, it started when a when a guy came in saying to a meeting saying he was late because he had to meet with his sous chef. <laughs> and then I had and I said sous chef. And then he spent like twenty minutes explaining to me the the advantage of having all his meals prepared for him ahead of time and in the refrigerator. And he almost convinced me. Of course, he'd been there about twenty years longer than I had. So, well, I I, I mean I respect and. Uh Participate to a small degree in the part where I pay people money to take care of me. That's I'm, I'm, I'm not oh, yeah. against that, yeah. but uh, but when that stops, I'm also willing to make my to prepare my own food. That's <laughs> when 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 the 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 equation between time and money starts being making it so it's rational for make make my own sandwiches. I can make my own sandwiches. That's not gonna. It will not. Uh, Lower my dignity. When the zombie apocalypse comes, you'll be much more pre- better prepared. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, you're looking around for somebody to make meals for you, and everyone else is just running. Yeah, and that's... the sous chef was the first to go. Brains again. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. All right. Well, I think we waited our five minutes. Right, so there you go. I thought you were going to do a smooth move. Oh, I thought I were we recording. We should talk to the audience first. So, yeah, each one of you is supposed to react and applaud and laugh and cry as, as if, if you were entertaining, fi- as if you were five people. Okay? <laughs> so, let's give it a try. I'm going to say something, and you're going to say "Yay!" So, one, two, three. Yay! <laughs> Very good. Okay. I trust you now. That was good, George of the Jungle, and there was much. Room. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> good. So um, at the end of the show, you can participate in this if you like. We close out by um, Derek will say, "I'm Derek McCaw," and then we'll we'll have our our guests say who they are, one at a time. I want to go Ty and then Dan- Daniel, and then I'll they say, can arm wrestle for it right now. Uh, no, and then I'll say, and I'm Rick, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you too. And then there's and then it's catchphrase time, right? So you get to say, and this is a terribly hard. We know we chose the world's worst phrasing on our catchphrase because you'll want to say it three different ways other than what it is. But it's use your powers only for good. (laughs) So let's try that once. Use Use your powers powers only for good. You got it. You're going to be beautiful. Thank you so much. It does occur to me that the next sign will have the... uh, We'll have the catchphrase. Yeah, there. that's so true. That, that's <laughs> what we probably should have done seven or eight years I ago. Interview, I interviewed Noel Neal once, who was Lois Lane on the original Superman thing. She nailed that phrase. On the other hand, um, uh, do we have Neil Gaiman say it? No, we didn't. No, we would not. We've, dare we've to had have we've Neil had Gaiman plenty of people, brilliant people, who go. Use your good powers <laughs> only for use. Only 
<laughs> Use your yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, thank you. This is Derek McCoy. No, smoother energy. Give no, me something that was I good. Edit. No, that's no, no, fine. All right. Go. That was it. Was smooth. Just give a, a second of quiet and then go. Hi, this is Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting from Baycon 2017, the Utopia Dystopia. With a live audience. Yes! yes. <laughs> they are kind enough to give us one of those, and we've got special guests uh, this morning, uh, so please introduce yourselves before we go to our producer. Uh, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use your powers only for good. Excellent, thank you so much. I love that you took the note and had it like this. This is the moment! <laughs> See, I, I use my powers only for awesome. I, I, good, I, I find evil. good and evil to be uh, artificial constructs. You should, you should use your powers for awesome. We will take that into consideration <laughs> for 2.0 yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. We're on 3.0 for the website. Yeah. Yeah. Ty is true neutral. I am, yeah, I'm true neutral. Thanks so much. I hope you had as much fun as yeah. we did. Thank well, you. Was, yeah, thanks for having us. Yes. All right.